Welcome to another edition of the Paracast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Sportsnet's hockey reporter, Kyle Bukoskis. Kyle, how are you today? I'm great, Michael. How are you doing, man? I'm doing as good as, a, as I can be during these unfortunate times. You know, lots of people have been watching uh, Tiger King, Outer Banks is another hit show, along with Ozark. Uh, what have you been doing during quarantine? Uh, you know what? We ticked a lot of those boxes. We went through the Tiger King phase early on. We actually started and finished the first three seasons of Ozark. Um, the dark horse show for me that I fell in love with uh, was one season on FXX called Dave. Have you heard of that one? No, I have not. Okay, so the there's a, a rapper who I think got a lot of his fame and popularity off his YouTube videos called Lil Dicky. And so oh, he, yeah, I heard of Okay, I heard of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he wrote, uh, produced, he stars as himself in the show, and it's kind of a satirical look at, at his life and his, his journey to creating a career as a rapper. It's just one season so far. It was 10 episodes. They were each half an hour long. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was something to look forward to every week. That's been my favorite thing to watch uh, so far. How crazy has the Tiger King show been to you? Well, it's almost, I mean, it feels like, it was like forever ago now when I watched it, but yeah. um, it was just like everybody else. We were all so blown away that I, I couldn't believe that that exists, A, and B, they're talking about, what was it, like a couple grand to, to buy like a baby tiger? And in the grand yeah. scheme of things, when you think about like how much a dog costs, uh, that, that doesn't cost that much. Like you think for an exotic no. animal like that, you'd be paying way more. So I guess you can see why so many people around the United States own them. Uh, and, and the fact that they turn them into a, a zoo is another thing in its own. But it was just unbelievable that there's a whole another part of the world, it seemed like. But it really it was not that far away. It's on the same continent as you and I, Michael, going on down in the United States. It was just, you shook your head at, at every single moment because you thought, surely it couldn't get more wild than this. And then it Oh, does. yeah. Did you hear that actually uh, Carol Baskins uh, bought Joe Exotic Zoo? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Well, that kind of the last week the news came out, hey? So um, another chapter in what just is an unbelievable, incredible story there between Joe Exotic and, and Carol Baskin. It's it's provided at least some some good humor with the different memes and, oh, and yeah. music and, and, you know, parody songs that have come out on, on social media here over the last little while. Uh, so at least it's provided us with some entertainment when it couldn't have come out at a better time, eh? Like, Oh, the I fact know. that Perfect everyone's timing. been told to stay home right at the, the beginning of the pandemic and then this drops and everyone was so enthralled and couldn't look away. Because we had nothing better to do because all exactly. the sports were canceled. So, you know, sure. Netflix decided to you know, thrive with the spotlight. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't have timed that any better. Have you been watching NASCAR or Bundesliga since it has returned? You know what? I, I haven't. I, I was watching a bit of um, the Charles Schwab Challenge yesterday, okay. the first PGA Tour event that, that started up. Um, I mean, I've had the Bundesliga on a, a little bit, um, just on the, on the weekends, of course, when, when the matches are played. But um, as I was telling you before we came on here, Michael, like my girlfriend and I, we got road bikes uh, a couple of weeks ago. So the last few weekends, like, we've been out riding during the day. So we haven't spent a lot of time on the couch watching TV. We've been enjoying the outdoors and with the weather getting better here in Ottawa and lots of places across the country, it's been nice to be outside more after a few months of what seemed like, you know, non, non-stop cabin fever. Yeah, exactly. Have you been getting on the golf courses at all? A little bit, yeah. I played a few rounds. Uh, you know, going to try to play again this weekend. Um, I'm no good golfer by any stretch, but between that and having a few sessions at the range, as I said, like it's just great to be doing some 
different activities again and being outside like just sign me up for it I'm, I'm all for it how about you uh well you know i've just been uh i haven't done golf but i think the only golf that i would do is mini putt <laughs> i think that's <laughs> yeah. the only good golf i would be at i would be good at uh but yeah i've just been you know doing my podcast uh getting guests on uh to talk about their story essentially like i told you before um you know i'm still in school unfortunately to the 26th um so uh, you know, the workload has been getting lesser since it is in June and the final concluding weeks. Um, yeah. You know, there is no exams, so I don't have to look forward to that, which is fun. Um, you know, just I'm trying to just tr uh, stay laid back, essentially. Right. Not I I'm trying to keep myself busy, but not trying to pressuring myself, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to go about it, man. I I, I feel for you and and everyone of of, of your peers and and anyone that's that's kind of at that stage of their life. Like I couldn't imagine for me when when I was in high school. I mean, I remember I think there was at one time I grew up out west. There was maybe a stretch of maybe ten days where the teachers went on on strike and we we didn't have school and that felt like a, a major shakeup just in your rhythm as as a young kid. Oh, the routine so was used. just thrown off. Man. Right, right. So to go through something like this now, again, as as a, a school student, be it, you know, middle school, elementary, high school, especially for those that were looking forward to graduating and how crucial the final exams are there is, you know, the prom, everything like that. And now to have all that, you know, virtually taken away from you, um, I just, my, my heart goes out to, to all of you. So it's good to see, though, at least you're finding ways to to stay stay preoccupied, stay busy, and, and stay productive in, in the meantime. Good on you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've heard that uh, from my teachers, uh, the board has, the HDSB Hall and District School Board, uh, has been looking at four different ways of integrating us, or, you know, integrating or just staying online. But at least there's coming up with a plan, although it might not be perfect. Right, 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 right. That's the thing, right? Like it, none of it'll be feel really perfect, right? Until however many years or how long it takes down the line when we can finally get back to the way things were. Um, it's hard to envision, you know, a perfect scenario, of course, because this is the new normal that we're living in. Yeah, it's the uh, it is the new normal, which is unfortunate because uh, you know there is with school there's the learning aspect and there's also the social aspect. And when right. school is taken away, you know, a lot of people who suffer from mental illness go to school for their remedy. Right, right. So and having that taken away is just like, you know, it not only does it throw up, uh, throw the normal people's routine, uh, you know, into haywire, but also throws those who suffer from mental illness in haywire. And they're, you know, they now have to find ways to cope uh, without school. Right. And there's so many... Right, like there's been a lot of talk, certainly in the last ten years, to to end the the stigma around mental health and to have those conversations with people in in your family. And um, it's just, it's yeah, your heart goes out to to everybody now that um, are feeling, you know, whether it's anxiety, you know, ex, you know, added depression, whatever it may be over this time, because um, whatever your routine was has now been completely thrown out the window. You know, those that are in living situations that are not ideal, and now all of a sudden you're told to stay home as much as possible. Like, it's just, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a great situation to be in. But unfortunately, this is, this is where it's, it's at. So um, you just hope that, that the people that um, are, are struggling more than others are at least, you know, getting the opportunity uh, to get some help and, and, of course, have the right people in, in their lives to to be there for for support in a time like this yeah um and you know i told my teachers because uh we had a two-week march break that's when everything decided to get canceled it was uh, mm -hmm. early march 
Um, and I told my teachers that I would see them in three weeks, but little did I know that I wouldn't end up seeing them for the rest of the year. Right, exactly. It's amazing how it all kind of unfolded, right? We initially thought like, oh, a little extra extended break from work or school, whatever we're doing, like, yeah, I'll take that. That's all right. We won't complain about that. And and now here we are three months into this thing going, there's still real no end in sight. Like we're just now starting to see some businesses reopen in, in Ontario anyways. And it still feels like there's a really long way to go, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, speaking of school, uh, what university did you attend? So I went to uh, what's called the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology in Calgary. And it was, uh, I got a diploma there. It was just a two-year program. So I applied to there and both Ryerson. Ryerson okay. did, not, did not let me in. So that, that was actually my first choice. Like yourself, Michael, I, I wanted to go to Ryerson in Toronto. Um, they rejected my application. And so SAIT in Calgary was kind enough to, to let me in. And it ended up being a complete blessing in disguise doing a two-year program versus four. I was out working two years earlier than I otherwise would have been. And actually, you know, after shortly after graduating from, from SAIT, uh, I moved to Toronto to begin working at Sportsnet, where I otherwise, had I gone to Ryerson, I would have just been entering my, entering my third year of school there. So it couldn't have worked out any better. And that's so that's where I got my, my education in, in broadcasting was SAIT in Calgary. Did you have to pay any out-of-province tuition? Um, I can't, honestly, I can't remember how that works. So, and I'll just say, like, I, I was really fortunate that, you know, my parents, as soon as I was born, like, they started putting money aside for me for, for post-secondary. So, um, all that stuff about, you know, tuition, um, what the cost of, of rent was for, for living on campus in the, the dorms there, um, I didn't, that didn't come out of my, my personal expense. You know, I didn't have to save money. Uh, you know, in high school, whatever, and my part-time work, all that money that I saved up doing part-time jobs was able to be used for, you know, going out and, and enjoying the time that, that you had outside of class and stuff. So um, I was fortunate I didn't have to worry about that. But at the same time, I knew, like, you know, this is this is my parents' money that they worked very hard for that's going towards my education. So I'm certainly not about to wait, let this go to, to waste. And, and I'm going to give it my all while I'm going to school here. And so thankfully between that and just the desire to want to work in this business fueled me through my two years there. And um, I'm fortunate to still be be in this profession and, and doing the job I am right now. Did anyone influence you to get to start this profession? Well, I mean, certainly growing up, um, it's funny, like I loved, you know, Jim Carrey. I loved his movies and uh, just the way he acted and, you know, the different things he could do with his face and his voice and stuff, as you know. And so, I, you know, initially in middle school, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be like him. And then kind of a couple of years went by and I realized, you know, how small of a chance, the unlikelihood that I would actually be able to make a, a living out of doing something like that. So, um, then, you know, as I'm starting to, I, I was already a big fan of, of sports. I played hockey growing up, lacrosse, baseball. And so, I mean, watching both Jay and Dan on TSN, and then there was uh, an, a sports anchor out of Vancouver for Sportsnet Pacific called Don Taylor. And so between those three guys, I mean, they were my, my confidants every morning that I'd be sitting there and having breakfast on the couch watching. And so between what they did, it just seemed like, gosh, could there have been more cool of a job? I mean, it looked like they were having fun. There was a little bit of uh, a, a humor and entertainment side of things, but they're also talking about sports. And so for me, I thought there couldn't have been anything better. And so when I initially got into this, that was the thinking. I wanted to be you know, an anchor. I wanted to be on the desk. I wanted to be reading highlights. And so I got an opportunity to work 
during high school at uh, my local radio station, there was a gentleman there by the name of uh, Warren Andrews, who at the time and for years prior to that was doing the play-by-play for our junior B hockey team in my hometown of, of Campbell River over on Vancouver Island. And so I knew who he was through that, watching the games back on you know local cable channel 10, and he was the voice of, of those games, and he was the afternoon host now on this newly launched radio station. So I reached out to him through like Facebook saying, hey, I'm interested in getting into this industry. You know, is there any chance I, I could come by or something just to shadow you for, for a day? And he was like, yeah, come on in. And so that led to an opportunity to intern there you know, over a couple of summers. And then between my first and second year of school out in Calgary, and so for, for him, he always pushed for me to, to get an opportunity to eventually get to a point where I was on air because initially I was just doing like board hopping type stuff. Um, but, you know, he, he had my back and that, you know, we should give this kid a chance to, to fill in doing sports, you know, and he went, and his family would go on vacation for a week in the summer or, you know, take over doing the morning show when, when the morning show person was, was away on vacation and just doing little fill in stuff like that, voicing different features that, that ran on the station. And so with that, I mean, I felt I was already gaining such a great wealth of experience and kind of a foundation, you know, before I'd even got into the actual workforce in general. So between Jay, Dan, Don Taylor, and, and Warren Andrews, who was such a mentor to me, I mean, those were the, the people that, that I looked up to um, in terms of wanting to get into this business. And then it's just funny how it's worked out that, though I've done a couple of, of, of shifts working the, the highlight desk, um, you know, primarily I've, I've been a reporter throughout my, my whole career, and I couldn't have been happier with how it worked out. And, you know, with your early career that uh, you had to read on a, off a teleprompter, right? Um, well, uh, yeah. So certainly when you're, you're on the desk, right, you're, you're afforded the, the ability to use a, a teleprompter and a script to, to you know, um, we've got a great highlight zone at Sportsnet, the guys that, that cut the highlights and provide the scripts for. And then if there's anything that you want to go in and, and add to put your own little spin on things that you, you can. So, um, I mean, it seems easy, like you're just looking into a camera and reading the words that are right in front of you. But, uh, man, at least for me, it can be it be a little tricky at times. Sometimes you lose your place and then you're going, oh my God, your mind's racing a million miles an hour because you're nervous already as is. And so, um, yeah, in studio, you get the, the benefit of a, a prompter, but out in the field, you're you're on your own. How did you deal or how did you suppress with the nerves that came with it? Um, it's a it's a battle that I, I still deal with uh, now, Michael. I'll say like there's times where you feel your heart's like, feels like it's sitting right there on you or you're starting to sweat and stuff like that. Um, I think that's always going to be part of just what comes with me doing this job because, because you care, because you want to do, you want to have a good performance and um, you don't want to make, you don't want to let your teammates down, right? The people that are around you when you're working on a show like Hockey Night in Canada, you think of the history and the tradition of it and you don't want to, um, do anything that would, would compromise the, the integrity and, as I say, the tradition of, of that show by doing a, a poor job and feeling that you're letting the, the people that work on it that you respect so much and, and the brand itself down. So uh, there's how do you deal with it? I, obviously, you, you do just over the course of years of doing reps, you get a little bit more comfortable. Um, and honestly, you know, for, forcing yourself to be comfortable in, in uncomfortable conversations, right? Like, or uncomfortable moments, rather. Um, going into moments, uh, you know, like we talked about before we, we came on here, Michael, like interviewing a, a live pig on, on TV. Um, that wasn't natural to do, but you knew that <laughs> it was just a really cool opportunity. And you knew that, you know, one way or another, it was it was going to work out. So you just rolled with it. 
And so just going through moments like that, you know, over time, you get a little bit more uh, comfortable in those those uncomfortable moments. So at least that helps deal with the, the nerves a little bit. You finished your two-year program at SAIT. How did you get the job at Sportsnet from there? So uh, my second year there, there was a woman that, funny enough, she was just filling in on a, on a mat lead position. She was in charge of uh, communications for the athletic department. And so she got to know me because she would schedule people to do like play-by-play for like the men's and women's volleyball games or basketball or hockey and stuff because all of that would be webcast out through their their website um, which is a really cool thing for for them to do and it was a great opportunity for students that, that wanted to be involved in that um, to help get help themselves uh, improve and 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 get their reps that way so she got familiar with my work that way and so this would have been I think late February uh, would have been right after our reading break and so she sent me an email and said, you know, hey, what do you, Lindsay English is her name. And she said, you know, what do you, what do you got planned coming up? Like, are you, are you done school after this year? What's, what's kind of the future hold? And so I had been already working on a demo reel um, because I was going to be graduating in, in a couple of months. And so I needed to start getting ready to start sending that out to potential um, employers that had jobs available to try to get that ball rolling. So I said, well, you know, I'm graduating in a couple months and, and I'm not, I don't have anything concrete uh, in place from there. And so she said, well, I don't know if I've ever told you, but my dad is the, the news director at Sportsnet in Toronto. And I'm like, God, I had no idea. And so she's, yeah, when I was back visiting uh, family over the reading break, I mentioned you to him and he wanted to see some of your work. So I thought, well, this would be the coolest thing ever if I could just have someone in that position see my stuff and just give any kind of feedback of if I'm on the right track and different things to work on. I mean, how cool would that be to have someone in that position give you some sort of feedback? So I did that and he got back to me a few days later and said some good things and um, kind of asked what my plans were. And I said, you know, I had nothing concrete. I'm just starting to apply and trying to get myself ready for once graduation hits. And about a day later, I was at actually at a broadcasting workshop up in Edmonton with some friends and from our, our program. And I got an email from Scott Moore, who at the time was the, the president of, of broadcasting at Rogers and said, hey, um, I just got your demo reel passed on to me by Mike English. And you know, one thing led to another. And at the bottom, he said, you know, we wanna bring you out to Toronto for an interview and an audition. And so I, you know, 19 years old at the time, still in school, I'm going, wait a second. That's, that's <laughs> not how it's, this isn't how it's supposed to work. Um, you're right. Like you, you hear about, I know everyone's got their own story in this business about how they get to where they are, but you know, there's steps that you kind of take in order to get there. And I was fully committed to going to a small market and trying to hone my craft that way and then working your way up from there. Um, so to hear that and to read that, I was just completely blown away. Um, so a few months later, I went out to Toronto for a few days and did like a, an audition in their, their main studio there. It was right after um, you know, they taped an episode, the six o'clock, um, Sportsnet Central and, um, I guess it was still called Sportsnet Connect at the time with Hazel May. So she had just got out of the studio and then I went in with about, oh, sorry, um, about seven other, um, people that worked in Sportsnet either as like production assistants or they worked as uh, BAs in the highlight zone, um, cutting together highlights and they were, you know, doing auditions as well to try to maybe get a chance to, to do some stuff on air. And I remember sitting in the control room and watching 
you know, guy after girl after girl after guy go through and thinking like, holy smokes, like these people are all really, really good. And I'm thinking like, man, like I'm this, like I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like these, these people are all for real. And so I went at the very end and nervous as heck. And so you got the earpiece in and they're going, okay, yeah, three, two, one, cue. And like the jib camera swinging in front of your face and you're looking at another camera and you start talking and then you get into the highlights. There's like a little five minute kind of highlight pack, you know, hockey, baseball, basketball, and the rest, and uh, you do your little tag and sign off at, at the end. And I don't remember much about it. Um, it was such a whirlwind. But between that, you know, so I did that, and that was just a really cool experience. And, and getting the interview with uh, some of the execs there at Sportsnet at the time, and um, it went out and like shadowed Sean McKenzie for a day at the the NHL offices in in downtown Toronto, right next to the Air Canada Center, and and met some people down there. And he's he was really good to me, and and has continued to be ever since. And so, anyway, apologies for the long story here, Michael, but no worries, um, I no just worries. I, I just waited over the course of the summer to kind of feel what was, uh, to wait to see what was ultimately going to happen and um, to see if they were going to take a chance on me. And, and late August, I finally got an email that said, you know, we want to bring you out to, out to Toronto to, to work for us. So um, I, I moved out at the end of September, so about a month later. And October 1st, uh, 2013 was uh, my first day at Sportsnet. Didn't start on air right away, of course. Um, took a few months for them to kind of work with me and, and groom me to get to the, to the point where they were comfortable putting me on camera. And uh, then from from that point on, you know, I, I've been, as I said, really fortunate to, to have every opportunity to continue to grow and to take some steps and doing some different things that, as I said, I never would have imagined me doing. And uh, now to be at a point where you get to be part of, you know, National Hockey League broadcasts and be part of Hockey Night in Canada and to be on the air at seven o'clock Eastern on Saturdays, it's uh, it's it's beyond anything I could have ever envisioned. What a guy to shadow! I mean, Sean McKenzie, he's related to Bob McKenzie, so yeah, like that's yeah. that's perfect for you to shadow. Yeah, it was great, and he was just like he he had started at Sportsnet not long before that, and so he was still fairly new. Obviously, he grew up in the industry, of course, because you mentioned uh, who his father is. Um, but uh, you know, just another young guy to kind of hang out with and. And to just kind of see how how he was going about things, and then even so, I, I moved to Toronto initially, and then at the end of that hockey season, because he was then in Ottawa doing the rinkside hosting for the regional games here back when that was still a Sportsnet property. Um, so they made the decision that at the end of the season they were moving Sean back to Toronto, and I was coming here to Ottawa, and so what. In the final, over the course of the last month of, of that hockey season, the regular season, because the Sens didn't make the playoffs that year, um, I took a couple of, you know, three, four day trips out here to Ottawa just to shadow them, to get a sense of the market, to meet, you know, the PR staff with the senators, the other members of the media. And so, you know, I always just felt really fortunate with how uh, well he, he treated me during that time, like, you know, on off days or whatever. Uh, when there wasn't much going on because I was just staying at a hotel. He was like, hey, come over, let's hang out. Like we play video games or whatever or go out for dinner and stuff like that. So um, he was always, you know, really kind and in, in understanding that I didn't have much else going on at the time. And so um, he helped make me feel as, as welcome and as part of things as as he could. So I've always kind of remembered that. And it's it's a good kind of attribute, if you will, to to want to pay forward. I gotta say, Sean McKenzie has one of the best mustaches I've ever seen. Like when it's we're unreal. talking about Movember, oh. when we're talking about Movember, he's the go-to guy I look for. Yeah, and how about have you seen the one he's been growing here over the the oh, quarantine? Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah I've seen That's... pictures of that. That is tremendous. <laughs> yeah, totally, absolutely. He's got uh, he's got the gift of the stash for sure. Now, what's a typical uh, game day for you? 
well, so for me, I mean, it's just really busy where the mind doesn't leave the, the job at hand where you're always kind of thinking. So I usually get up, you know, for a Saturday game, the alarm goes off somewhere between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. So, you know, get up, get ready. And so I'm reading stuff. We get documents emailed to us every morning that kind of has every hockey story in each different city that was written the day before all there for us. So you read kind of whatever stuff that may be relevant for the game that you're going to cover that night, um, just to make sure you, you've got a base that you know what's going on. And so that'll usually take me to then, you know, get some breakfast in you, go to the rink for the morning skate. And even though, you know, actual full morning skates are, are going the way of the, the dodo bird, there's still some players to talk to that you may have some questions for just to get little insider explanations for some stories that you, you want to tell on the show that night. Listen, talk to the coaches, you know, hopefully get an understanding or any finalizations for the lineup that night, know who's in and, and who's out. And then go into the, the production truck that, that's on site there and, and sit down with uh, the producer. And so on Saturdays, I work with a guy named Shirelli Najak, who's been with CBC and Hockey Night for over two decades now. And so him and I will go over our list of, of different stories that we'll have ready for using in-game if the opportunity arises. Um, anything in the pregame show that I have, whether it's a, a pre-tape interview or maybe there's something over the boards during pregame warm-ups, something after warm-ups or any other hits that... Uh, I may have in that 30 minutes uh, before 7 o'clock and then our opening at 7. What do we want to do for that and anything else before the game actually starts? So from there, I'll walk back to the, the hotel and then it's just I'm going over and, and getting my notes ready for all our different in-game stories. And I just kind of do little point form things about um, different things I, I want to highlight and, and say. If we ever, you know, if we get to the point where we're, we're using that story, whatever it may be, in a game and then from that point that takes me to then time to get ready again shower up you get in your suit and you're ready to go you walk over to the rink usually in there by 4 15 4 30 and then most weeks there's one or two pre-tape things that, that you got to do so that usually happens within that first hour of you getting there and then you go over all the different elements that you may have uh, for the game, whether it's, you know, different graphics or photos or video that you want to reference for uh, a certain number of your stories. And then, you know, commentators, Jim Houston and Craig Simpson, they'll get in the booth and we'll go over all the different packs for, for them that they want to look at, any stats, graphics as well. And, uh, and then it's, and then it's showtime. It's, you get focused, you, you figure out what you want to, you get an idea in your head of what you want to say for the different hits that you have, perhaps. And uh, then 6.30 rolls around, you know, you're on the air with uh, Hockey Central Saturday. And from there, it's, it's the game. And then you let it kind of unfold. And usually, so I don't normally have dinner, like, before a game. So whenever the game's done, I'm like, I'm starving. I've got to get something in me. So we usually go to, to somewhere close by to the, the hotel. Just the crew will, will go and, and grab a bite and just kind of unwind. And, you know, whether do a quick debrief on, on the show or not. Or, or maybe some weeks it's just better to just, you know, talk about something other than, than hockey for a couple of hours. And usually the late game's on, we'll watch and, and just kind of relax and enjoy the rest of the night that way. Do you stay in a hotel with one of the teams? Um, it just depends. Like we don't book our, our travel based on that, but inevitably there's, there's certain times where you happen to be staying at the same hotel that, that the team does. So normally no, but every now and then it just happens, but it's a coincidence. So now how busy are you during the season? Well, during the season, like nor normal times when there isn't a Yeah, like 82 games late. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty busy just because, you know, I, I live here in, in Ottawa and I primarily do Maple Leaf games on, on Saturdays. So um, I'm most weeks here during the week, uh, Monday to Thursday. So if the Senators are at home, I'm at the rink there covering off their practices or going to games if they're playing um, out in, in Canada. Every now and then there may be a, a Wednesday, a midweek national game, like a Wednesday night hockey game I may be scheduled to do. Sometimes they're here in Ottawa, maybe in Montreal or a Boston or somewhere um, that's a short flight to. And then most weeks on Fridays I'm, I'm traveling, whether it's Toronto or, or elsewhere if the Leafs are playing on the road, do the game Saturday, fly home Sunday, and then it just kind of repeats itself. So there's some weeks where you feel really busy because the Senators are at home. So like you get home Sunday and then you got to be at the rink Monday and you're at the rink Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you're back on the road Friday to do another game Saturday. And you don't really feel like you have a day off. And then there's times where you get home and the Sens have taken off for a week-long trip in California. And so you've got nowhere really to go. You don't have a midweek game that you're slated for. So it's a lot of just being at home. And, um, and with that, even if I'm not you know, at a game here in Ottawa during the week, there's there's other games um, to watch on TV, whether it's the Maple Leafs and, you know, and or whoever else that they're they're playing that week just to get a, a feel for what's been going on. And you want to keep tabs about um, what's happening around around the league, too. So obviously you can't watch every game, um, but you try to try to stay as locked in as, as possible between. So between that and also trying to find a balance and just doing some other things. I mean, spending some time with, with my girlfriend and, and doing some things that just aren't hockey is important too. But um, I'll admit there's some weeks that's a little tougher to do. You just feel like you don't have much time for anything else. But thankfully, it, you know, if the job is sitting there and, and watching hockey or reading about it, uh, there's much worse things to be doing. So I'm certainly not complaining or expecting any sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or how busy are you on trade deadline? If you are, um, it just it depends, right? Like I, I don't work in in studio, and I certainly wouldn't put myself anywhere near the level of a, a Chris Johnson or an Elliot Friedman and, and those people that are constantly on the phones and figuring out what's what's going on. I mean, really, it just depends on on the year and where you are. So this year, I was with the Senators; they're playing in Columbus. Um, it was moderately busy. I mean, they were they made a couple of minor deals, but you know, a pretty significant one dealing Pajot. So um, trying mm. to to figure out how to properly cover that. Um, the year before, it was when Mark Stone was traded to Vegas, and that seemed and they were actually here at home and practiced that day, and so that seemed and it didn't. The trade came down, I think, maybe I think it was less than an hour before the actual deadline hit. So you're waiting all day. You know, you're thinking it's going to happen, but you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and then finally it does. And so then the follow up from that, and then you got to wait for the GM to hold his press conference and then file your story from that. So it becomes quite a long day, right? Like usually, I think for the last number of years, they've been on the air at, at 8 a.m., both Sportsnet and, and TSN, 8 a.m. Eastern. So you have to be at the rink before that because usually you're doing hits early on in the show to kind of mm -hmm. set up, well, this is potentially could be what's happening in, in, in this city, in this market here today. Um, and then you're just on, on standby. So years where there's not a lot that happens. They're long days, but you don't do much. And then there's some other years um, that are long days, but they feel a bit quicker because you're actually reacting and, and trying to anticipate certain things that, that inevitably end up do happening. Now, what's your off-season plan, you know, during an 82-game schedule? Yeah, so I find the last few years, it's been really nice. It's almost felt like the, the life of a teacher where from, you know, mid-September through to mid-June, you're, you're go, 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 and you're constantly in the, 
the the grind of of a, a season and trying to stay on top of everything and saying yes to hey can we have you do this yep no problem you know do you mind sticking around here for an extra couple of days yep no problem hey this guy or this woman can't make this game were you able to jump into here in a couple of weeks all good let's do it and then you get through the playoffs which is another animal in itself and oh, yeah. once that's all done and the Stanley Cup's been handed out um, you get a little bit of a reprieve and so the last few years in June I've gone back home to see family um, for about you know a week to 10 days or whatever it may be and then you have July 1st and then after that on Canada Day I mean really it's like you're you're on vacation mode now I do I've been fortunate the last since I've been at Sportsnet every summer I've, I've been part of the the Rogers Cup coverage and so that's a, a week-long just long days out in the heat but it's one of the funnest things that that I've been able to do at Sportsnet. It's probably the one thing I look forward to most every year is being able to cover that tournament and to watch the the quality of, of tennis there. So because it's something totally different from from hockey, um, how you cover it and just the sport itself, I, I love doing that every year. So that kind of breaks up the the summer vacation, if if you will. But other than that, I mean, there's six, seven weeks there where it's just able to, to relax and, and unwind, enjoy the best weather of the year and just not really think about work all of that much so it makes you know the grind of the other months of the year all that much worth it when you finally get to the finish line now i must ask did you cover bianca Andreescu's run at the rogers cup no i wasn't there for that one so i've always been where the men have had their tournament right so of course yeah. every year either you know the women if the women are in montreal the men are in toronto and they switch um every every year so I was in Montreal last year, and Bianca, of course, was doing her thing in Toronto. So we all watched with bated breath on TV um, as she did that. I will say I was in Montreal in 2017 when uh, when Chapo went on his run, at least for the early part of it. Yeah. So I was there for from the start Sunday all the way through till Thursday, and then Friday I had to fly to Toronto because I was filling in for somebody to do anchoring Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So. Thursday night, he plays Rafa in the third round. And so nobody nobody thought he was going to win, right? Like nobody ever thought like, you know, and so everyone's predicting, you know, maybe like a 6-3, 6-3. Like everyone's thinking straight yeah, sets. straight sets and, win. Right. And it had been such a good run for, for Dennis at that point to, to get there. And it wasn't even like, it was just like, you know, Rafa was at, you know, pretty close to top form at the time. He was gunning for, for number one in the world again and so i watched the the first set and i believe he lost the first set six three and i thought well you know the the kid's putting up a fight like you can't follow that <laughs> so I, I i had to get home to to pack because i had an early flight the next uh, morning to toronto so i left i left the grounds and so i took uh the shuttle service back down i was living in montreal all the time back uh, back home downtown and i'm checking my phone when i get home and all of a sudden he's won the second set and i'm like Oh my God, this is crazy. So then, Wait of course, minute, I'm on TV. Yeah, no one saw it coming. And so maybe other than Dennis, of course. And anyway, so then, of course, like everybody else, I'm glued to my TV for that third set. And then he, he wins the bloody thing. So that was that was one at least I was <laughs> fortunate to see part of. Um, but it's it's great to see those those moments like that where you think someone's dead in the water and then they find a way to dig themselves out. Um, it's one of the many reasons why I find tennis to be a really compelling sport that I've just found my love for it has grown year after year. How did you keep up to date with Bianca and Jessica's success? Um, like during that week? Yeah, or during just like the whole season when she went on to win, what was it, the U.S. Open? 
She won the U.S. Open, right? So, I mean, she came onto the scene winning Indian Wells, right? So that was yeah. earlier on. I think that was in March of that year. So she does that, and it was like, okay, wow, like this girl's for real. And then she got hurt, if you don't, yeah. uh, if you recall. So she missed a lot of time, and then came back for Rogers Cup and won that. And so everybody remembers that. And then it was like it was Bianca Watch, where anytime you heard she was playing. Um, a lot, you know, every tennis fan in Canada, and then even a lot of just casual sports fans were going, "Oh yeah, this is the this is the Bianca girl. This is who we've got to be watching." So, um, watching her run through the U.S. Open was was magical. Like it was hard, it was harder to miss than than to follow, right, Michael? Like she just completely oh, yeah. took the landscape, the sporting landscape in Canada by storm, and rightfully so. It's been such a wonderful story to to follow ever since. And it sucks that the Summer Olympics got pushed back, because she could probably make a good run uh, for representing Canada for tennis. Totally. I just think the, the future is so bright in Canadian tennis between her, between Dennis, Felix Ojeali-Asim on, on the men's side too. And it just seems like it's it's still getting started. I mean, Milos, I still have hope that he could maybe put it together uh, at a major. It just comes down to if his, his body can, um, can hold up, right? Like it's just he's been battered by injuries so many times. He's been looked like you're, you're right there close to finally having that breakthrough. And then um, whatever it is on him, knee, shoulder, hip, whatever it may be, um, gives out, and, and then it's you're taking five steps back again. So I think we're entering the, the golden age, the golden era of, of Canadian tennis. So, I mean, obviously it was it was done for the right reasons, postponing the, the Olympics. So hopefully uh, by the time 2021 rolls around, uh, the Olympics will be full, full go, and um, Bianca and Dennis and Felix, whoever else, will be that much more prepared and experienced for an opportunity like that. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. You know, I just want to say real quick that, you know, you've done an amazing job with the Stanley Cup Finals game back in 2017 uh, to just a regular season game between the Leafs and Habs. You know, the Habs are my favorite team. I, you know, I don't have a hat on to represent it, but I am a Habs fan. <laughs> uh, to Jerome McGinley's Jersey Rafter game. Uh, looking back, what do those games mean to you? Um, so I wasn't in, uh, I wasn't in Calgary the night he had his jersey retired. Um, but I remember one of the last things I covered as a student at SATE was when he was traded from Calgary oh, to wow. to Pittsburgh and being there at the press conference that morning. And so through family, like, you know, for a lot of my childhood, I was I was a Flames fan and, and Jerome yeah. was one of my, my favorite players. So it was it was bittersweet. Like he knew the reason behind, you know, the Flames ultimately having to to do that, but um, to be standing there and, and watching a guy that you know you idolize as a kid kind of say his his final goodbye to a city that had embraced him for so long, um, it was it was very unique but but special to to be there. But um, you know, being you know, I will say uh, as I said, you know, just really lucky to do some different things. And and 2018 being in Vegas when Washington won the Stanley Cup, and then last year in Boston for when St. Louis did did its thing in, in Game 7, and, and just being able to, to witness some of those moments when the Stanley Cup is awarded and you see the emotion on the players and on the families' uh, faces. Uh, it's just, it's it's so, it's so, so cool. Um, like Joel, Joel Edmondson with, with the Blues, I remember interviewing uh, him and his, his parents, and in the middle of, of, I think it was his dad answering a question. I mean, he just started to get choked up and the tears came over and then the mom started crying and Joel started to cry. And so I just said, I'll let you guys have your moment. Like, congratulations. It's just little things like that that you thought, man, like how, how lucky am I to be able to just kind of witness something like that? I'll never know what it's like to actually experience it, but to just kind of see moments like that up close, it's really, really cool. So 
Um, so from there to just a, yeah, an original six Leafs Habs matchup on a Saturday night. Um, it's just, it's special. I never lose sight of, of how fortunate and how lucky I am to be able to, to do it. Um, and as, as much as maybe it's, you may think it, it starts to become a little more normal and, and, um, not as unique more and more times that you do it. Um, you still find different things, uh, whenever you're, you're in the moment to kind of remind yourself of, of just how, how cool and how special it is to, to be a part of. So whatever it is, uh, Stanley Cup final, a Jersey retirement, an original six showdown. Um, those are all just things that, as I said, I never would have envisioned doing uh, as a as a profession, never having the chance to do. So uh, to be part of that, uh, it's just anyway, it's it's tough to to find the words to words to explain properly. You just you just don't lose sight of of how fortunate that I I am to do. I don't mean to be too gushy here, Michael, but no, uh, no, no, I, no, I, no I really worries, do, no, don't it, worry about it. Yeah, yeah, no, it just it's it's just a, an excellent reminder. And so, um, if that this pandemic has done anything, it's just put a lot of things into perspective. Some things that you take for granted, um, you know. Hopefully, we we don't anymore here as things get back to normal again. Did you ever talk with Layla Anderson, who emerged as the Blues uh, super fan? Um, I may have. I don't think I've ever. I haven't interviewed her. Um, certainly, I've been around her, but that was the other thing too. Like in Boston, seeing. Colton Pareko bring the the Stanley and Cup and Layla Anderson celebrate together. Just the right, best right. Moment. So like him bringing the Stanley Cup over and holding it over her head, and for her to be able to kiss it and stuff like that. Like I mean, it's tough not to get choked up and emotional uh, watching it. And then we were actually doing a game in in St. Louis um, earlier this year, early in December. And uh, geez, my eyes are watering up just thinking about it. So they actually unveiled, they showed Layla in the building that night, and. Um, and the, I believe it was the, the bone marrow donor, um, the, the guy that, that provided his bone marrow that virtually saved her life. And so they showed yeah. the two of them there in the building um, hugging and the whole cra- place was, was going crazy. And so you just saw like the love and the appreciation between the two of them there and just the genuine warmth. Um, so that, that's, those are the two things with, with Layla Anderson that, that stand out to me that, again, fortunate enough to, to witness. How do you cherish uh, those type of games? Like, do you grab a photo or, you know, like a uh, some sort of apparel after the game? I Some things I, I will. I, uh, like in the playoffs and stuff, if there's different, like, towels that uh, will be, like, draped over the seats for the fans, like, sometimes I'll, I'll check kind of after the game if inevitably there's a couple of fans that may just, just leave the towel and not take it home with them. Um, or sometimes there's, you know, certain special programs or something that um, – are given out in like the media room. Uh, I'll, I'll hold on to those. I have a few like production scripts from like my first NHL game, my first Hockey Night in Canada game, different things like that. My first Leafs uh, Habs matchups. Actually, the first Toronto Montreal game I, I worked it was uh, November 2016. Um, so the warmups, they have all the pucks that have like the information about the matchup. They'll show the two teams, uh, the date. Bell Center, Montreal, Quebec, and all that. So that's the pucks that the players will use in, in warm-up. And uh, someone on our, our production crew, our, our floor director, uh, she actually grabbed a puck for me because she knew it was my first like big Leafs Habs Saturday night game. And so after the game, she gave it to me. So I, I always thought I thought that was really really nice of her to do. So I've kept on to that. And there's a few other little things. But I, I find I me personally, I don't take enough photos when I'm in buildings or, or at having the opportunity to cover different things. Um, but but. I guess I got to do a better job of, of that. And then um, just certain souvenirs that 
try to find uh, along the way. It's not something that I do all the time, but um, there are moments that that I do try to grab something just as a little keepsake. So with you covering Stanley Cup final games, have you ever had the opportunity to lift Lord Stanley? No, 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 no. Never touch it, and I don't plan on, on ever. I'm a firm believer that you, unless you're like a family member of, or, or a close personal friend of, of somebody who, who won it, um, or you're a player or part of the organization itself, then you know you don't haven't earned the right to to touch it. So I mean, I've, I've gone to see it at the Hockey Hall of Fame. I didn't touch it there. Don't plan on on touching it in, in any other scenario. So is that like your little superstition then? Uh, it's just more just just respect for for what it it takes to to earn it, right? And and you know who who holds the the right to be able to to kiss it, to touch it, to lift it up, yeah, um, to eat cereal out of it, whatever it may be. And and I know I, I'm lucky enough, to, as I say, be around it, um, but I, I won't lay a hand on it. Now, could you provide us with the story uh, on Hamilton the pig for the Carolina Hurricanes? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he became like a cult hero in North Carolina because he started to go into games. I think it was right at the end of the regular season when they were making it the push to right get before in. the playoffs. Yeah. So he, he was starting to come to games. And then I think people really took notice in the playoffs. Like, um, you know, this this uh, guy and, and his fiance, they've got the little red wagon flyer, um, red wagon pulling them around at the uh, at the tailgates. Um, out front of the arena before games, so people all, you know, naturally, you see a pig being pulled around in front of a hockey building, you're going to notice. And up until the conference final, I think every game he had been to, like the Hurricanes had had won. So he was on quite a streak. So you knew if, if Hamilton had showed up, then he was the good luck charm and that it was going to be a good night for, for the Hurricanes. So uh, we had come to, to Carolina after the first two games in, in Boston. The Hurricanes were, were down 0-2 in the series. And so for the opening, uh, producer Shirley Najak thought it would be uh, fun that night to, to have me with, with the pig. And so we had set it up. I was texting the, the owner of the pig, who um, coincidentally name is also Kyle. Uh, so we set it up to figure out, all right, you know, come down by the, the one corner where the players come on the ice and... Uh, it was funny. He said, well, you know, we should be able to make it work, but, you know, he's got some you know, prior engagements. He's got to be at this one stand for photos and be the other thing. Like, <laughs> he's a very popular pig. Um, like there was other things he had to get, he had to take care of before he was able to come to us. So they bring him down. And so before we go to do the thing, I'm in this, our little studio there and I'm talking to Shirelli over headset. And I'm like, what am I, like, it's a pig. Like, what am I supposed to what am I supposed to say to him? Like, I don't know what, <laughs> what am I, because it's, it's, it's an animal. Like, it's not going to respond to me. Yeah, I know. And so it's like, you can't have a conversation. And so uh, Shirelli just goes, you know, think Ron McLean, hockey day in Canada, like outside, frigid temperatures on an outdoor rink. And he's surrounded by all these eight to 10 year old kids. And he's telling them all stories about things that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago before they were born. They have no idea what he's talking about, but they're all just mesmerized by the words that are coming out of his mouth. I'm like, okay, I got it. Like, I'm like, all right, like, <laughs> the switch flipped. I'm like, okay, I know what you mean. Um, so anyway, so I do my little shtick where I'm standing there initially. All right, here we go. Bruce Cassidy says this. Rod Rindemore is changing this to his lineup. And then I undid the button of my suit jacket and sat down cross-legged next to Hamilton. And I just start telling him different things about... Um, you know, I saw you did this on Instagram today and you've been the good luck charm and certainly, you know, the players here and the fans in Raleigh 
believe in you and whatever else I ultimately said. And then at the end, and so as I'm talking, like Hamilton's kind of doing this as I'm talking, <laughs> looking over at me, which initially I'm going, oh, that's kind of weird. And, <laughs> and at, the, at the very end, uh, we had one of our, our, our floor managers throw me a hockey night towel. So my, you know, the final piece to, to the bit to the piece de resonance was um, putting the hockey night towel over over Hamilton as if uh, he was a player getting interviewed in an intermission or something. So uh, anyway, so we finished the the bit and, and it, so we were all uh, we thought it, it went well. Um, I just thought I was like, yeah, thank God I got through it. And so uh, Kyle and uh, his fiance Caroline like come over to me and they're like he's never done that before. Like he was looking at you, like of all the things he's done with different TV reporters, he's never actually looked at the person talking like that. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe I've been a pig whisperer this whole time and I just didn't know about it, but um, that was an all timer for me. I won't forget that one. That's for sure. I guess you could cross off on your life goals to interview a pig. Yeah, exactly. It was never on the <laughs> list to begin with, but it's crossed off now. So how loud is it inside PNC arena? Playoff time, it was it was loud. I'd only done one previous game there. Um, it was like a Friday night, and the team wasn't very good at the time. It was a few years ago uh, now, but um, playoffs, it was it was loud, and it was just I mean the team, unfortunately for for their fans, had run out of steam, and they're against a Boston team that was just head and shoulders better than them at at that oh. time. So they didn't have a ton to cheer about in those two games, as the Bruins eventually swept them, but. Um, you could tell it was just a building that was ready to ready to explode. They had like Luke Combs there. Um, they had some pretty good uh, had some pretty good names that that showed up um, from the like North Carolina area, and the, they all went nuts when they when they did that. So um, it's it's a good good building in in playoff time. I mean, I think as you'll see as as most markets go, when the team's winning, the atmosphere around it is is really positive and exciting. Winning cures all. Have you all. ever win? Oh, sorry. I was just say winning cures all, as they say. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously, no one wants to sit in the basement for you know ten plus years. Of course. Have you ever witnessed the storm surge? Uh, no, I haven't, because uh, the two games I, I've been to since, well, I guess when playoffs rolled around, they stopped doing that anyways, and I haven't yeah, been to a regular season game um, since uh, since they started doing that. So I, I have not witnessed them, but. Uh, I, like a lot of other people, have thoroughly enjoyed watching them. So you've interviewed a pig, but you haven't uh, seen the storm surge. Weird how things uh, end up. Yeah, so I've got some unfinished business in Raleigh yet. So Carey Price, as some may know, made Anderson Whitehead, who is a diehard Habs fan, very emotional at the 2019 NHL Awards. Uh, just to give some context, Anderson's mother had died earlier that season due to cancer. And, you know, the mother's goal was to give... Anderson the opportunity to meet Carey Price and fortunately enough Anderson did uh, the video went viral and won the NHL fan award for the best feel good moment of the year you did get the fortunate chance to meet Anderson during a Habs Leafs regular season game could yeah. you speak about what that encounter was like knowing how much Carey Price meant to him yeah it was just he's a such a, a wonderful you know young kid young man I guess he's turning into now that he's so uh, he's so in tune with what's going on in the game. He's got opinions. He's not afraid to share them. Uh, he obviously has a, a love for the sport, a love for Kerry, a love for the the Canadians, and uh, and a love for family. So he was there that uh, that first Saturday of this season for the Montreal Toronto game, 
and uh, he was there with uh, his uncle Paul, and we'd set up to do an interview with him just before the game started, and um, and uh, we worked out a, a I shouldn't say it's a deal, but we just we we came to an agreement to have uh, like a wireless microphone put on him during the game. So if there was anything we picked up of him saying while he's watching the game, we were able to to run that back on the broadcast. Um, so anyway, so we, we did our, our little uh, interview there. And so he came over, like I introduced myself. It was my first time meeting him. And so he's a little shy to start. And then all of a sudden he just starts going, right? Like he's telling me about oh, yeah. this This is what Mark Bergevin needs to do. And this is what I think is going to happen tonight. Um, as I said, like he's he's a quietly is a confident kid and, and he knows his stuff. And so it was just really heartwarming to, to listen to him um, when we, we went to air with, with our conversation and talk about just the different things that, that he and Carrie have talked about, um, about not worrying about what other people think, to, to being true to yourself. Um, and then we get to the game. And so I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure you remember that game, right? Like Montreal oh, yeah, down big in the third period. The comeback, the the throw. That's when Gasparri Kapanen threw his broken stick, right? right? And yeah, then Jeff yeah, yeah. Petrie of all people go on. The I know, took the penalty shot, which was which threw me off. I was like, why right. is Petrie taking this? Right, and scores, and then Matthews scores within the last minute to tie it to to force overtime. Um, anyway, so I think when when Montreal had had tied it, then at the next commercial break, they had run back uh, just a little sound of of Anderson reacting to the tying goal, and so he's. He's doing the like Dikembe Mutombo finger wag to the lead. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's like, we're in it, boys. We're in it. Um, so anyway, so obviously Montreal wins in a shootout that night. So we got Kerry as a, a post-game interview, and we're showing him in the our little monitor there um, out in the hallway by the camera, just shots of, of Anderson going nuts during the game as, again, doing the finger wag, arms up, you know, doing this, asking for noise. And Kerry was beside himself. Like he was, he thought it was hilarious, as as anybody would, right? Like it was, it was so fantastic. So um, I saw him again because, of course, at the NHL Awards there in 2019, he invited him to the All Star Game this year in St. Louis. So yeah. um, I saw him and and members of his family there uh, taking everything in, and um, and he actually. So Kerry wasn't an All Star this year, uh, but Shea Weber went, of course, represented uh, Montreal, and so there's a great video. Of of them uh, talking after, I think it was after the skills competition on Saturday, and uh, and Anderson says, you know, by the way, you know, Mon- Montreal won that uh, Subban Weber trade, just so you know, and and Shea's going, looking at the cameras, going, did you guys all get that? Did you get that? Okay. <laughs> He's uh, he is a he is a witty, uh, you know, very smart and uh, just very warm person that uh, I'm just unfortunate to say that I've had the opportunity to meet. Did you did you ever get blown away by when he started just going off on this rampage of what Mark Bergevin needs to do? Well, yeah, like he just it's initially you know you meet him and and understandably like he's a, he's a little shy and quiet and you're just trying to make anytime you're in that situation in my role you just want to make the person feel comfortable and just say hey this is mm-hmm. all we're doing it's just a conversation like you know and you try to in those situations you'll try to prep the person like hey I'm thinking about asking about this and how do you feel about that. So then they can kind of think, all right, so how do I want to say what I want to say? Um, so initially, as I say, just a little quiet and soft-spoken. And, and then as we're sitting there watching warm-up and stuff, he's starting to spew things off. And, and he felt right at home all of a sudden. So he's, uh, anyway, once you get to know him a little bit all of a sudden, then you're, you're not as, as surprised. You, you understand just uh, how passionate he is for the game and how, how much time he spends uh, learning about it. 
with your, like you said earlier, you mainly do uh, Leaf games. You did have an encounter with Gritty, uh, you know, spraying you with Silly String. Uh, could you talk to us about that moment? Yeah, so that was uh, that was one that totally caught me off guard. We had talked, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like to, to kiss and tell, if you will, but we had talked about maybe having him being part of our little opening in some capacity. And so we start our hit, and I'm trying to get the lineup news, and then if you're watching on home on TV, you see the orange hand come into my face, and it's playing with my hair and doing all this stuff to try to tickle me under my chin and stuff. And so I'm trying to keep it together, all that. And at the very end, you know, I, I look at him, you know, and because and, we had done something the year before with him. Um, okay. So I said, so my last line was, you know, it's nice to catch up with some old friends. And as soon as I say that, all of a sudden, I just feel this, Blah, this splat. Of silly, <laughs> I, I, I'm, it took me a couple seconds, but I realized it's silly string. And uh, so I'm standing there as he's just caking it on the side of my face. And then he starts squirting it at the camera. So I'm going, Sean Reynolds in Dallas, please take it away. Um, so the silly string, I had no idea was coming. So my reaction there was was absolutely 100% genuine. I just, it was a total shocker to me. But um, I'm glad it gave people something to, to chuckle about. And it's just, there's moments like that because um, it's funny, like you, you come up with like a little story, you talk to a player and they give you a little piece of insight that, uh, you think is is really informative, and and then you you get it into the broadcast at just the perfect moment because it ties in what to a point that Jim was making or Craig had just made, and you think, wow, what a what a great piece of of storytelling, what a great piece of reporting I just did, man, that that worked really really well, and you don't hear anything about it, like no one says anything, and then you get sprayed in the face with silly string, or you talk to a pig live on TV and everybody goes crazy and it's everywhere, you know? So it's just, it's a good reminder that, you know, at the end of the day, as much as I try to tell different stories and convey information that'll enhance the um, viewing experience for a fan at home, you know, at the end of the day, we're just, we're here to entertain too. It's, it's important thing. It's an important thing to, to keep in perspective. And when do you think you've done a great job? Like, is it when you hear it on social media? Is it when you get a text from friends? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, everyone's their, their hardest critic. And, uh, it certainly is the case for, for me too. Like certainly when, when things go well, there's still that part of me that goes, well, how could I have done that a little bit better? Or yeah. how can I do it better next time? Um, certainly you're, you're never satisfied. Um, you know, our producer I work with, you know, the line he loves to, to use is, um, like you need to produce, every single second of television and you need to constantly strive for perfection and it's not likely you're ever going to get there but it keeps you driving towards something right a lot of times you're going to walk away disappointed um, but at least it keeps you going well this is what i got to do next time to be a little bit better and a little bit better after after that um, so yeah i think Certainly with, within our own kind of crew, you know when you've had a good show and others when you've you've messed something up um, or something, something hadn't gone well. If I didn't execute something well, uh, I certainly know right away. Um, so you, you kind of reflect that way. But in terms of, of when you know you, you've done a good job, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. Like that, that thought doesn't come in, in my mind a lot where you leave the rink going like, man, I was really, really good tonight. Um, like it's more so like, gosh, like, you know, the, the 
team did a great job. There's a great replay they show. Like you're more thinking about other things than than your own stuff, unless it's something that I did to that screwed up or whatever. If I didn't do something well, then then I'm on myself in my own head, going, "Gosh, you goofball, why did you mess that up?" Um, so that's kind of how how I approach it. And so with that, as I said, there's a lot of times where you're left going. Um, I wish I would have done this differently. I would have done this better, but it keeps you hungry to to be a you know a little bit better than you were the week before or, or the show before when you do whenever you do a game next. How did you remain cool when Gritty brought out the silly string and just hit you with it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. As I said, I just I guess at, at that point I'm like, well, we're here now. What am I gonna do? Yeah, so exactly. Like, what am I gonna do? So I might as well just wear it, enjoy the the humor that that I uh, I guess it, it brought um, and just the the moment that that I found myself in and uh, I don't know it's just silly string it cleaned off really easily so that that was my thinking I guess now let's get to the David Ayers game uh, what was going uh, through your head when you heard a Zamboni driver had to lace up the skates I just I, first off I remember the the collision between Kyle Clifford and Peter Morazic because I was right in that corner there. At ice oh, level. so you got a good you got a good angle of it, and a good like the sound of it too of that oh, between those two players. It was unreal the the force at which those two players met. Um, it just like your mind was was kind of racing because you're trying to dig up as much information on this guy as you can. Like any other things that we had prepared Ooh. for potential in-game stories, like were right out the window. Right. There was a yeah. game earlier that year where I can't remember who Toronto was playing, but they were at home, and the visiting team's goaltender had got hurt and had left, and their backup had come in. So we figured, so it was one of those things, well, just in case, we better figure out who the emergency backup is. And it was David Ayers that night. And so at least I had heard the name already when the Carolina game happened. Um, so I'm looking it up again, like, yeah, it's David Ayers. is the guy that we had talked about earlier. And but even then, like I think the first couple times I said it on air, I think I pronounced his name like Aries instead of Ayers, just because I didn't I I didn't know. Oh, the, you had no idea, and you, you yeah. Wait, and so, so that was on me they, to not that was on me to wait. not double check that um, oh, initially. Okay, really, yeah. But thankfully, early on, um, it was actually a member of the Leafs PR staff said, "Hey, just so you know, it's pronounced Ayers." And so I relayed that to the team, and, and then we had it from from that uh, point forward. But um, it was just a. Uh, just so unthinkable the way all of that played out because you're thinking Toronto's going to win in a landslide now and so that third period was one of the more remarkable 20 minutes of hockey I have ever seen for a whole host of reasons and so but in between all of that again you're just trying to figure out trying to find any little tidbit any kind of information about this guy because nobody's heard of him before in a general sense um Anybody, any typical viewer wouldn't know who David Ayers was until he obviously yeah. stepped in that net. So what else can you add to tell the story about this guy? And then you see like his wife, Sarah, is tweeting all these things that she's going crazy. Um, you, you know, we oh, knew that yeah. she was in the building. We didn't know where she was. So I'm trying to reach out to her to kind of say, hey, would you mind letting us know kind of where you are? If we could, A, like show you on camera saying, here's Sarah Ayers, David's wife, watching this all unfold or... God forbid she'd be willing to do an interview at that point, like just doing different things like that to try to find, dig up as many information, as much information as you can. Um, and then you win, or they win, sorry. Uh, the Hurricanes win, David wins. And so now you're doing the interview with them live on the air. And uh, and again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, your own worst critic, um, you know, I was... Very thankful that some people said some some good things to me about how the interview went. But that whole time, 
afterwards, like the whole week afterwards, I'm thinking, Jesus, I should have asked this. I should have asked that. God, that was terrible. I did such a lousy job there. There's so many things that I left out that I should have got got in and tried to ask them about or press them on. Um, because what a once in a lifetime story that was really. So, um, for me, it was just like your, everything else is thrown out the window in that moment. And it's nothing you can really prepare for. Uh, there was no precedent, at least for me and my career doing something like that. Um, so it's another one of those ones where it's good to go through to kind of figure out how you handle those situations. Uh, and then just some good takeaways for knowing how to be better if any situation close to that ever arises, uh, again, over the course of your career. Did the camera come back to you when you were trying to figure out this information? No, I, I wasn't on camera on, on any of that, but it's more so just voiceover stuff. Like, because there was a yeah, lengthy right. day, like when Maraza gets heard, and now we've got to wait for David Ayers to to get in 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 his gear and and to get on the ice and to take some warm up shots. So, I mean, you can only show the replay so many times. You know, Jim and Craig up in the booth can only say so much about what's going on before they're just repeating themselves. So, what can I, as the third man on exactly. the broadcast team, add? So I'm googling searching digging whatever i can on my phone standing in the corner there um what else can i i find well you know when they did their skate at nathan phillips square earlier this year he was one of the goalies out uh taking part in the three on three tournament there so there's familiarity with the maple Leafs players he's gone out and taken shots uh certain practices that that he's been out for there too like just other stuff like that that i was now trying to add to the, the conversation so that's a lot what what it's about um, just trying to find anything else you can add in a story like that because there's not a lot of information about the guy out there as as is. So it was a good challenge. Do you think that the NHL should implement goalie training for Zamboni drivers? <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know about Zamboni drivers in particular. Uh, I found you know, this was a, a unique story in it of itself, but uh, certainly maybe firming up the the guidelines in terms of who is really eligible for um, for playing playing goal. Um, don't get me wrong. It was a wonderful story that I was so, so, uh, just thrilled to, to see how it played out. I shouldn't say thrilled because then you, it's not like I was choosing or cheering for Toronto to lose that night or anything. Um, but, uh, it's just, it was so, so remarkable to watch how it, it played oh, out. Yeah. Um, but certainly you would have felt had that gone the other way, then you're feeling for the hurricanes who were in a fight for a playoff spot at that time. And they're going, so wait a sec, we may cost that may cost our season to two points that we needed to get into the playoffs because the only guy they had available was you know a 40 some year old goaltender or zamboni driver that played minor pro a long long time ago um it's uh so that 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 part of it you understand maybe there's some some guidelines that need to be looked at uh being reviewed perhaps um so i don't know i guess ultimately the league looked at it and and decided well it's such a rare occurrence um, maybe we'll leave things as is, but um, we'll see if, if that ever gathers any steam down the road. How crazy does it seem that, you know, the Leafs own Zamboni driver beat them, but was, in, but was wearing a different uniform? So weird, eh? Like, he's, he's in his blue and white pads. He had a Marley's mask on and a Hurricanes jersey. Yeah. And, uh, as I said, it was one of the more remarkable periods of hockey I've, I've ever seen. Um the Hurricanes were like Game 7 desperation with how they defended. And the Maple Leafs, you know, I likened it to like in Space Jam where Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and Muggsy Bogues like all lost their talent. 
to the <laughs> the aliens and Moron Mountain, yeah. where all of a sudden they couldn't play basketball anymore. Like it just felt like that's what it was like for Toronto. Like it wasn't a lack of effort, it wasn't a lack of care on their part, but just nothing seemed to work for them. Mitch Marner was toe picking on the power play stuff you'd never expect you would you would see from players of of that caliber. It all just came crashing down at once for them. So um, as, yeah, it just it was it was a scene that uh, you could not have scripted. You didn't have much time to interview him uh, afterwards with the the post game interview. Did you ever reach out to him to get more comments on the game? Uh, I didn't personally, just because I mean the the media blitz that awaited him for that next oh, weekend and beyond. He had more than enough stuff going on between him and his wife going down to the states to make the media rounds. I mean, I think he went out and practiced with the Leafs the next day. Ironically enough, and he was doing different uh, what are called talkbacks there from from the arena. So he had enough stuff on his plate. He didn't need to hear from me again. Uh, now speaking of Toronto moments, uh, take me through where you were when Kawhi Leonard hit that game seven shot. So that game was Mother's Day Sunday last year. Yeah, so that we did an afternoon game, Boston Carolina, game two of that series. So me and Shirelli, our producer, decided to take. Uh, because it was an afternoon game, take a late night flight from Boston down to Raleigh ahead of game three instead of typically you would just fly the next morning. So we decided to get down there early. So we were sitting in um, like a little airport restaurant there and they had the game on the TV. It was just a little TV and so we're sitting there waiting for our flight and our flight was actually delayed by about 45 minutes. And so because of that, we were able to see the shot and how it ended. Otherwise, wow. we would have been on the plane and likely would have missed it. So we're sitting there watching, and I just remember, maybe it was because the TV was small or just the angle I was on. Like, I remember just seeing the ball go up and thinking, oh, no chance. Like, it just seemed like it was going, like, into the third row or something. I'm like, oh, well, overtime, here it comes. And then, like everyone else, one bounce. Oh, wow, that shot was actually a lot closer than I thought it would have been. Two bounce. Wait a second, it still might actually go in. Three bounce. Holy crap, what's about to happen? And then the ball falls and everybody goes crazy. So... We're going nuts. I mean, there's like, I think, five of us probably at the bar watching. Um, I think we were the only Canadians there. Um, everyone, else <laughs> just, everyone else is just going, oh, my God, I can't believe what I just saw. The bartender's like, free Molson for everybody. We're like, let's go. Come on. Uh, yeah, it was so everyone's got their where were you moment. Uh, for me, it was at Boston Logan Airport waiting for a flight to Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> that is uh, one of the more, I guess, weirder moments, uh, if I were to ask. Yeah, uh, maybe. We'll see. I uh, know this past All-Star game, trial player and puck tracking, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm So they were supposed to be implemented league-wide for the playoffs this year. And, of course, yeah. that's been pushed back. It just seems like there's so much. There's going to be so much data available. I'm just really curious to see between the broadcasters, be it Sportsnet or NBC or what have you, like how do you implement that into your into your shows, right? Like they showed the alternate feeds during All-Star where there's like a million different graphics on the screen showing different players and what their speeds and yeah. all that stuff. And it just gets a little too busy after a while. You're like, what am I looking yeah, at? Exactly. Almost... Go ahead. It's uninteresting. Yeah, yeah. So it almost like it's ta- like it's too much information so that it's taking away from what you're actually trying to watch. So if you can find ways to just sprinkle little bits in that maybe enhance your story, like showing the speed that Connor McDavid got up to on the last breakaway or... Um, you know, being able to tell right away real time how hard that Shea Weber slap shot was or whatever it may be or how quickly Carey Price moved post to post to make a save, uh, anything like that, just little bits like of data 
at a time, I think could really enhance the storytelling and, and give a, a person watching at home a greater idea of just, you know, how incredible these athletes are at the top of their game. Yeah, you know, you know, information is at the, you know, fingertips of us. So it is good for them to, I guess, grow this in the grow this game the way where the future is headed. Yeah, I think so, right? Like with the, and it seems like you know, sports gambling is going to become a, a bigger and bigger part of of hockey. Um, so as as things kind of move forward and everything's so accessible at your fingertips on everyone's phone, um, the more data, the better. But I think it's it's how you execute it and how you go about maximizing it without overdoing it. Um, I think that'll be the real key to it because there's there's access to a lot of stuff, but being able to filter through what actually is meaningful and impactful. Um, I think that's the that's the secret. Now, NHL and local media outlets are replaying past games until the uh, season starts back up again. Are you getting bored of those reruns? <laughs> uh, yeah, some of them I've, I've kind of flipped on to watch. But for me, and, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, um, outside of like the big ones, it's it's tough to rewatch only because you, you know the outcome, right? So it's just yeah. it's a little less, less compelling. I, I appreciate, you know, networks trying to to do that just to create some some content to watch because otherwise what else are they going to put on with nothing else happening um but now with you know more things starting to start up again uh perhaps those are coming to an end but um i will say i've watched a few but i haven't been tuning into all of them that's for sure what excites you most about the 2014 playoff i think just the the unpredictability about it right like you're going to look at if they are playing by early August, which seems like best case scenario right now, you're looking at essentially the length of a full offseason for a team that doesn't make the playoffs. That's how much time will have gone between the pause and then uh, starting things back up again. So any momentum or any good feelings that a team had uh, up until March 12th, I don't think any of that will matter, matter anymore. Um, everybody, for the most part, should be fresh. The players that were either out hurt or dealing with some nagging injuries that should all be, for the most part, healed up. So teams will be at virtually full capacity. So now you've got an opportunity all of a sudden for teams that maybe didn't think they were going to be part of the mix, like a Chicago or a Montreal. Well, now you are. So what are you going to do mm -hmm. with it? It'll be a completely unique set of circumstances, playing in the hub cities, no fans, etc. cetera. Um, but what an opportunity to, you know, as John Tavares said this week, captain of the Maple Leafs, uh, I've been dreaming as a kid of lifting that trophy over my head and, and now I get an opportunity to do it. So that is not about to let it slip. And I'm sure there's a lot of other players that feel the same way. Do you know if you'll be on site for this year's playoffs? Don't know. They haven't figured that out yet. I, I would be surprised if they let, you know, ringside hosts, you know, people that, that work in my role into the buildings, maybe by a conference final or a cup final, they, they get to that point. But I would be surprised early on if they were letting those those people into the building. There just seems to be still so many restrictions as regards to who would be allowed into the hubs. I don't know if we'll make the cut. Yeah, you know, I definitely hope that you do make the cut. You know, along with the family of the uh, of these players. Like, I right, don't know if those sure. of the family will even be allowed in. Right. So, I mean, I guess you could look at so maybe initially no families, but then once you get through the play-in round and you get through the first round, so now you're down to. Eight teams. Four, eight teams, four per hub. Yeah. Now you've got way less people inside the bubble, if you will. So now you can say, all right, for those teams that are still playing, that haven't already gone back to their families, now you can bring some significant others, wives, girlfriends, kids, whatever it may be, mom and dad. Now you can come in and be part of it. I think that that would be a, a good way to go about it, but still so much to be decided. Do your coworkers ever give you uh, nicknames like players give their teammates? Um. <laughs> 
No, not really. I get a few. Jim Houston will often uh, refer to me as Jimmy Neutron because of my hair. Um, so I get a kick out of that. When I first started, uh, Ken Reed called me the kid just because I was the youngest one there. Yeah. Um, but that was that was it as far as uh, as nicknames go. Now, final question here. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring sports journalists? Yeah, uh, that's a tough one, especially now, because just given what, what everything, what's all gone on. Um, but I know, you know, for me, it's just trying to find as many different opportunities to get reps as, as you can. Like even if you're a student, you know, attending a journalism program or a broadcasting program or degree or what have you, um, try to find some things to do outside of class that you're not getting graded on. It's not counted towards your GPA or whatever it may be, um, but it's an opportunity to, to get some experience and, as I said, get some reps. I mean, that's what I did in doing a lot of the, the school broadcasts or webcasts when um, I was a student out at SATE in, in Calgary. And so that led me to the person that whose dad was working as a new news director at Sportsnet, right? Like I, I don't, I'm not here today having this conversation with you if I didn't go out of my way to do those things outside of class time um, eight years ago. So between doing that and taking every opportunity you can, like it's just it's a very small world this business, and you never know who knows somebody that that could lead to something. So putting yourself out there, I think, stands out in terms of potential employers, and also just being someone who is is good to work with and i know that's that's easy to say but you know are you somebody that puts in the work are you somebody that that people can trust to, to do the job properly that i you know i don't have to worry about michael because i know he's going to do he's going to hold up his share in the preparation and how he executes and the job that he does i don't need to worry about him i can work, focus on my job and that's kind of how you build a strong team in whatever environment, whatever setting you're in, in, in this business. So if you're that kind of person that, that is easy to get along with, that people enjoy working with, um, you know, I often say I think that that helped me a lot, at least early on, when I was getting opportunities that I probably wasn't totally qualified for. But I think people trusted me that even though as I was working throughout through the kinks and the cobwebs as I was trying to find my way, that it certainly wasn't going to be from a lack of effort that was hindering me in certain moments and that um, over time there would be a lot of, of growth there. So I still got a long way to go, but I think that that kind of mindset and attitude has, has helped me. So that's often the, the advice that I try to relay to, to young people that, that want to get into, into this business. Because I find if, if, you're a people, if you're a person that um, you know, is difficult to, to work with and be around and not a lot of fun to be around, um, I think you learn pretty quickly that not a lot of people will have time for you. All right. Well, I'd like to thank again, Kyle Bukowskis, for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you again, Kyle. Thanks, Michael. Good to be on with you. Take care.